I only pray for us to ask God to help us before we dive into the word. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you are our advocate. Thank you that you stand in the gap for us when Satan accuses us. God, I just pray for myself and for my brothers and sisters here today. Thank you for giving us your word, Father. I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, help us to pay attention. I pray that you'd help us today to be able to understand your word, help us to be able to believe it, help us to be able to obey it, and help us to be able to teach it to others as well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you didn't get one of these note sheets, one of these handouts on the way in, could you raise your hand? And uh, there'll be some folks that can, that can bring you in. Raise your hands nice and high. Um, David asked me if I would be autographing these after the service. <laughs> um, for the right price, maybe. Just kidding. Well, um, the scripture reading today is from Proverbs chapter 18. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. And it's the only one of the verses we're talking about today that's not going to be in this handout that, you're, that you just got. So you can look up on the screen um, and read along with me as I, as I read it. You can read along silently as I read it. Proverbs 18, chapter 20, or Proverbs chapter 18 verse 21. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat of its fruits. Well, um, we've been walking through Proverbs and what we've been saying is that this is God's world and you just live in it. And it's not an easy world. It's not a simple world. It's not a world where it's enough to just have rules. You can say, do this, don't do that, eat this, don't eat that, say this, don't say that. It's a world that's very complex and complicated, so it takes wisdom to live well in this world. It takes more than just knowing the rules. It takes a heart that can sense what, is, what it is that God wants you to do in a given situation. That, that's what we've been doing this summer, is we've been going through and looking at different areas of life and absorbing taking in this wisdom from the book of Proverbs. So the next time you're in that situation and you don't know what to do and it's not, a, it's not like a really clear cut, should I punch this person or should I not punch this person, um, you'll have some tools to be able to make that decision with. And today we're talking about words. And based on this verse that we just read in Proverbs 18, there is no more powerful tool that you have at your disposal than your tongue or your words. Death and life. Doesn't get any more serious than that, does it? Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat of its fruits. Think about this. How many times have you seen, or maybe you haven't before, but think about how powerful the tongue is. You know, you'll see two random strangers sometimes who get in the cage and beat the crap out of each other for like 30 minutes. And afterwards, they're hugging, and they're like, oh, I love you, and they're like friends. But there's also family members who want nothing to do with each other, 
not because they've punched each other or stolen from each other, but because of things that have been said between them. So you want to tell me that words aren't powerful? Basically what Proverbs is telling us here, your tongue is like a sword. Your tongue is like a sword. Your tongue is like this five-foot-long, razor-sharp piece of steel that's incredibly powerful. You can use it to just cut people down. Right? It's like this weapon that can be so deadly. Right? So you better figure out how to use it, right? Well, there's this, um, and this is the kind of the image that I want us to keep in mind as we're going through our time here. I want you just to picture this with me. There's this beautiful image in the beginning of, of Isaiah where God's talking to Isaiah and he gives Isaiah a glimpse of what it's going to look like when King Jesus comes back and when Jesus' kingdoms filled the entire world. And you know what he says? He says that they will take their swords and they will hammer them and they will beat them into plowshares. We know what a sword is, right? A deadly, razor-sharp piece of steel. Do you know what a plowshare is? A plowshare is that sharp piece of metal that's on the back of a plow that the farmer uses to plow a field, to plant the seed, to create food for himself and for his neighbors, for his family. So basically what this is saying is when the kingdom of God, when Jesus becomes your king, when you get down off the throne of your life, and you submit yourself completely to Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, to the extent to which he is taking over leadership and ownership and lordship of a, of a person's life, of your life, or, or of a community like our community, or of a people, the way you can tell is that people take the weapons that we use to hurt each other and we repurpose them and turn them into life-giving tools. You get that? Taking the weapons we use to hurt people, and because of the gospel, we repurpose them and turn them into life-giving tools. And that's what we're talking about this week and next week. What does it look like for us to take our, our words that we so often use to cut people down, we so often use to kill, to bring death, and to repurpose them take our swords and to repurpose them into life-giving plowshares, okay? Well, I don't think I need to give a sermon. As I was thinking about this, I don't think I need to give a sermon to tell you not to scream expletives at your spouse. Do I? I don't think I do. I don't think I need to give a sermon to tell you not to, like, tell bold-faced lies and trick people and deceive people for a bunch of money. Um, but, but there's one, as we think about ways that our tongue that our words can be so destructive, I think that maybe the most destructive way, that the most destructive aspect of the way we use our words is gossip. It's gossip. And I think in some ways it's so destructive just because it doesn't seem destructive, right? It doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. You can be gossiping and nobody, in the moment, maybe nobody feels like, oh my gosh. But the reason it's so destructive doesn't seem that destructive, and so we tolerate it and we allow it, and it does even more damage sometimes than when we're just screaming obscenities at somebody. Okay, so this is what we're talking about today. Um, for those of you who are note takers, you're welcome. Um, there's two points. Uh, on, on the front side of your notes, uh, we're talking about, first of all, 
the deadly sword of gossip. And then the second point on the backside, we're going to talk about the life-giving plowshare of the gospel. Okay, the deadly sword of gossip, of gossip, and then how do we repurpose it? How do we discipline ourselves by the power of the Holy Spirit to hammer that deadly sword into the life-giving plowshare that's transformed by the gospel? Well, so one of the things that's really hard about gossip is it's kind of hard to define. I looked this week for a lot of definitions about gossip, and none of them are perfect, to, to be honest. Um, but, but here's what I'll say about gossip. Gossip is talking about somebody behind their back in a way that does not build them up. Talking about somebody behind their back in a way that does not build them up. And because gossip is so, it, it can be hard to define. Uh, I'm just going to kind of give you a picture of it. Okay, I'm going to give you a picture, which is just this picture right here on, on your page. So what happens with gossip, so we've got, uh, we got, we got our, three, our three characters here. Now, what happens is person number one does something, says something, or, or doesn't say something, or doesn't do something, and person number two gets offended. Okay, that's that dotted line, the dotted line of offense. Um, so person number one does something, or says something, or doesn't do something, or doesn't say something, and person number two gets offended. Now, person number two is frustrated. You guys seen the Peanuts cartoon? When that character gets frustrated, it's like that little kind of dirt cloud over his head. That's what that is. That's the cloud of frustration. Person number two is frustrated, okay? Now, they don't want to go and have an uncomfortable conversation with person number one, but they're also too frustrated, and they don't want to just let it go. So what they do is they go and talk to person number three, okay? Now, um, this is kind of where it gets tricky, right? Because is it wrong to go and talk to somebody, to a third party about another relationship? Is that necessarily wrong all the time? Is it? No, it's not. And usually as we do this, and there's good reasons to do that, right? Well, we can say person number two probably goes to person number three and says, you know, I just need some advice about something. Or, you know, there's this situation, it's really hard, I'd ask, I'd ask you to pray for me about it. Or there's some things I need to process with you and, and talk, to it about, talk to about this with person number, number three. And is that necessarily wrong to ask for advice? No. Is it necessarily wrong to ask for prayer? No, it's not. Okay, but this is the gray area, and at some point in this interaction between person number two and person number three, it becomes talking about person number one in a way that doesn't build them up. At some point, it becomes gossip. So here's what I want to do. There's, um, because this is kind of hard to define, what we always want to do is to say, okay, tell me what I can say and what I can't say, and I won't say this, but I'll come up with other ways to accomplish the same thing to kind of satisfy that craving in my heart, right? So what I want you to do for the rest of our time, for the next 20 or so minutes, um, please resist the temptation to think about somebody else. <laughs> um, you'd be kind of gossiping in your head if you did that, I guess. Just kidding. Um, please resist the temptation. None of us probably thinks that we're a gossip, but I think we all kind of do gossip. I know that's something that I can struggle with. I'm guessing it's something you can struggle with too. So please just think about this. Let's try not to get defensive. Um, and let's not think of it as like a black or white issue, but instead think of it as an issue that we need wisdom from the Holy Spirit in those moments when we're talking about people who aren't present to know if we're saying something that's a sword or, or if, it's a, if it's a plowshare. Okay, so let me give you this. Let me give you five signs as person number two is, is talking to person number three, you guys ever heard Jeff Foxworthy, you might be a redneck? You heard this? This is you might be gossiping. Okay, if this, then you, you might be gossiping. Five signs that you might be gossiping. Number one, you find yourself venting. 
you find yourself venting. Proverbs 29.11 says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. A fool just gets it all out there, can't hold it in, but a wise person quietly holds it back. This is kind of tough in our culture today, isn't it? The idea that you might have a feeling that the rest of the world might not need to know about um, that, that's a little bit hard to believe sometimes. But what this is saying is it's not necessarily going to make it better just to vent it. Yeah, I was listening to this counselor one time. This is a trauma therapist. And this person was saying, you know, when people get really angry, when they get really offended, sometimes they think what's going to happen is if you, if you just kind of badmouth that person, if you just, you know, imagine, like, draw a picture of their face on the door and like, or a piece of paper or whatever and like throw darts at it or something, that that's going to make you feel better. But what he says is it doesn't. Because the more you vent your anger, guess what happens? The more angry and more frustrated you become. So a fool gives full vent to his anger, to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Um, There's a time this week where I had to, um, I, I, was, I was preparing this message, I had to talk to a friend and say, hey, you know what? There was a conversation that you and I were having, and I wasn't saying anything that was like super nasty. I, I wasn't saying anything that was untrue. I wasn't really trying to hurt somebody, but I was venting about something. I was venting about a certain situation. Okay, I was giving full vent to my spirit like a fool. And so I had to apologize. I said, that's not the example that I, that I want to set. That's, that's sign number one. Number two, if the presence of person number one, again, person number two and person number three are talking, if the presence of person number one, they magically appeared in the room, would change what or how you talk about them, then you might be gossiping, okay? And sometimes we'll have conversations, we'll say stuff like this. Well, I would say this to their face. I've told them this before. So, and that's kind of like the, the get out of jail free card to say, well, this, what I'm saying, this is a gossip free zone because I've already said it to them, right? But think about the way that you say it. Because maybe it would be like, hey, if I'm, talking to, if I'm talking to Matt about something, like, hey, Matt, there was this thing that you did, and, and you, probably, you probably didn't mean it. And, man, it's probably my fault, really. Um, but it just, it just kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit. But then I go and, I go and talk to Lindsay. I'm like, you can't believe what Matt did today. Oh, my gosh, this guy, you know? And, and, and that's a situation where maybe, maybe the, the thing that was said, and that's not what I do, by the way, <laughs> that maybe the thing that was said I mean, the thing that was said was the same, but the way it was said would have definitely been a lot different if person number one had been present in the room with me. Um, sign number three, you start assuming people's motives. I bet they did that because they were mad at me. I bet they did that because they just don't care. I bet they did that because they were thinking if they did this, then they could get this back. Okay, you're starting to assume motives. If you're starting to assume motives, you're probably gossiping. Um, number four, you're making character judgments. Well, that's just the way they are. They always do this. You know, they're just not a loving person, right? That's just, you know, they're just not smart. They're just not whatever, you know? You're making these, you're making these blanket label statements or these character judgments of people. If that's what you're doing, you might be gossiping. Right? And finally, if you're not working for a solution, 
if you stop working for a solution. So many times we go for prayer or for advice or to process, and, and that can be helpful as long as we're working for and looking for a solution. But what probably happens at some point during person number two's conversation with person number three is they stop kind of looking for a way to solve this problem and just get so caught up in talking about it and it kind of feels good to talk about it. And they've kind of forgotten to sort of figure out to pray or, or, or what you should do about the situation, right? So if you find yourself that you're venting, that their presence would change what or how you say it, that you're assuming motives, that you're making character judgments, or that you're no longer looking for a solution, then there's a good chance that you're gossiping. Well, let's look at this from person number three's perspective. So um, Proverbs 26, 22 says this. It says, the words of a gossip are choice morsels. The words of a gossip are choice morsels that go down to the inmost parts. Okay. What this is saying is that when, we hear, when we're person number three and person number two comes to talk to us and it starts to get a little bit gossipy, right? That's just like, oh my gosh. That's just like finger looking good, right? <laughs> That's just finger looking good. What is the most common adjective we use to describe? What, what's the most common adjective we put in front of gossip? Juicy. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels, right? There's something in it that when we, when we get that gossip, it's that thing that's like, oh, I, I know I shouldn't, but okay, one more. That type of thing, right? Well, what is it about gossip that's so tempting? What is it about gossip that's such a guilty pleasure for us? Well, when person number three hears person number two talking about person number one, there's probably a few things that they start to feel. They probably start to feel pretty important. Wow, they, they could have gone to a lot of people, but they, they came to me. They want my opinion about the situation? You, you want me, you, you're giving me an opportunity to make a judgment about whether or not you're justified in being, uh, being offended by that? I, I feel pretty important. Okay, my judgments matter. They're also going to feel included. I've got the inside scoop. I know, I know, the, I know some details. I don't feel like such of an outsider anymore. Okay, I feel like I'm on the inner circle. I feel like person number two trusts me. They're, they could have come to lots of people. They came to me. I also feel powerful. You know, maybe around person number one, person number two and person number three, they feel about this big. But when person number one's not there, they can just take that sword and just slice into pieces and there's nothing person number one can do about it. There's power there, right? I can make them, I feel this small when I'm around that person, but I can make them look this small using my words when they're not there. And finally, you feel superior. You feel superior. We, so much of our time, so much of our mental energy, and you tell me this is true for you or not, is just spent thinking about our own faults and failures and imperfections, right? And it's such a relief, and this is how kind of sick and twisted our heart is sometimes. Sometimes the only relief we can get from thinking about our own faults and failures and flaws is thinking about other people's thoughts 
and failures and flaws. And so, because when we're doing that, we feel, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. As long as, you know, person number two and person number three are sitting here talking about person number one, you know, they feel like, well, at least I, I'm not the one sort of on the chopping block right now. So you feel, you feel superior a little bit. So that's where the words of a gossip, both for the one saying them and the one hearing them, are just like the, just that finger-licking good, you know, choice morsels. It's like that, it's like that deep-fried, chocolate-covered donut at the fair, right? But what's the result of gossip? Well, the first thing that happens is it makes the problem worse. It doesn't make it better. It makes it worse. Proverbs 26.20 says, without fire, without wood, a fire goes out, but without, and without a gossip, say that again, without wood, a fire goes out, and without gossip, a quarrel dies down. And maybe this has been going on for a few weeks, and, and if you know, person number two hadn't said anything about it, they would have kind of just moved on. But you know, they start talking to person number three, person number three says, yeah, I've felt that way too, and then, oh, have you thought any more about this? And it kind of keeps going around and around and around, and all of a sudden, this thing that would have been a little problem has become a big problem. Okay, it makes the problem feel, feel worse. And, number, and secondly, finally, it hurts the relationship. Proverbs 16, 28 says, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends. See, what's going to happen after a while, person number one, they're going to notice something's a little bit off when they're around person number two and person number three. And maybe you can't put their finger on it completely, but you know, something's just not quite right. Something's a little bit awkward. And you know, maybe what's going to happen is person number person number one is just going to kind of fade, fade away and sort of withdraw from the relationship because uh, they seem like they act weird around me for some reason. Or maybe they find out that person number two and person number three have been talking about them, and then it really blows up. And then you've got some serious conflict, right? So it's going to hurt the relationship. Well, th think about yourself for a minute. Well, like I said, this is a problem that we don't like to say that we have, but I think it's something that we all struggle with, and it's something that's very toxic in any community, especially in the church. What's the situation when you, as you think about it now, you're thinking, you know, I might, it didn't feel that terrible at the time, but I think I might have been crossing that line into gossip. What's the time for you that you have spoken about somebody behind their back in a way that didn't build them up recently? As you think about that, what was your motivation as you did this? Again, it's not about just do this, don't do that, rules and stuff like that. God wants to change our hearts. As you were doing that, what was going on in your heart? Were you, did it feel good because it made you feel powerful? Did it feel good because it made you feel, just for this brief moment, you didn't worry that you were the, the odd man out or the odd woman out? Did it make you feel superior? Did it make you feel important? What was going on in your heart? You know, a few examples of this. I, I remember I, I worked at a camp. Um, as a camp counselor, and it's a kids' sports camp, and there was few things that we enjoyed doing as much 
as talking trash about the kids, you know, um, when, when they went home or, or something like that. And I'm just being honest. You know, when the kids weren't there, like, oh, my gosh, did you see what little so-and-so did? Oh, my gosh, I hope she, I hope she gets sick and doesn't come next week. <laughs> Stuff like that, you know. Um, maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's teachers in the break room, you know, talking about, I, oh, gosh, I've got so-and-so in my class again. You're not going to believe what so-and-so did. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's, uh, have you heard these before, a compliment Maybe it's like a mother-in-law saying to her daughter-in-law, I'm so glad you're my daughter-in-law. You don't let your kids do blah, 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 blah like she does. It's one of those compliments that's actually passing on negative information. Maybe it's, um, maybe you consider yourself an empathetic listener, right? And sometimes you're talking to somebody and you can sense there's some negative, some negativity there beneath the surface. You can sense they might feel a bad sort of way about somebody. And you could let it go, but, but, but you dig a little bit. And maybe you say, maybe you tell yourself, I'm just being a loving friend. I'm trying to be a safe place for them. Or maybe you got a little sniff that there's some juicy gossip in there. And you're just wanting to satisfy your curiosity. Right? Well, that's the deadly sword of gossip. Let's look at the life-giving plowshare of the gospel. Let's look how this, look how this works. Well, so person number one, same thing, person number one, offends person number two. Now, person number two, in Jesus' kingdom, where we use our tongues like plowshares instead of swords, has two options. First of all, they can let it go. They can just let it go. Proverbs 17, 9 says, whoever conceals an offense promotes love, but whoever gossips about it separates close friends. You know, um, what is it that we say when somebody does something that hurts us or offends us and we just want to go vent about it? What do we say? We say, I just need to get it out. And it's cathartic. It feels good just to, just to get it out. Just like you feel good after you throw up, it feels good after you kind of get it out, right? Well, think about this. Maybe God doesn't want you to have that catharsis. You ever think about that? Maybe God doesn't want you to have that catharsis of venting your frustration. Maybe he wants you to have catharsis, but not the catharsis of getting it out, but the catharsis of letting it go. And we talked about this a few, a few months ago, said that holding on to bitterness and frustration is like drinking poison, thinking that another person will die. Maybe you just need to stop drinking the poison. Maybe you just need to let it go. Maybe there's something right now that you think, I could never let that go. Maybe you could. Maybe you could. Why don't you try? Second option is go and have that uncomfortable conversation. Go and take it directly to person number one. Proverbs 28, 23 says, whoever rebukes a person will in the end gain favor rather than the one who has a flattering tongue. See, person number one thinks, if, or person number two thinks, if I go to person number one and tell them that they did something that bugged me, they're gonna get mad. Well, maybe. But have you ever thought that maybe they would be grateful? 
Maybe, maybe they would say, hey, you know, I always wondered if I was getting on people's nerves. I always wondered, you know, I, I could tell that people act uncomfortable around me. Thank you for telling me. Thank you for caring enough to tell me. Maybe the, thing, maybe the only problem is, maybe you're not saying anything that's inappropriate in and of itself. Maybe if you took the exact same thing you're saying to person number three and said to person number one, they would be like, man, I'm so thankful that you told me that. The person who rebukes a person will gain more favor in the end than the one with a flattering tongue. Well, finally, for person number three, and before we talk about person number three, or as we talk about person number three and how this works in God's kingdom, I want you to think of something right now. I want you to realize person number three is the position that Jesus is in every single day. Right? Every single day, the Bible says Satan is the accuser and Jesus is the advocate. Every single day, Satan has a list of a million things about me and about you that are reasons why you do not deserve to be a member of God's family. And he accuses you, and he accuses you to God, and he accuses you to yourself, and he accuses you to your friends. And he says, did, did, you, see what, did you see what that person did? Did you see what he said? Did you see how he treated his friend, how he treated his kids, how he treated his spouse? Did you see how lazy he was? Oh my God, you, this guy? This is the person we're letting in? But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, Jesus is our advocate. He says, I've paid for that with my blood. I have absorbed every last drop, every last sin that that person ever did. I've paid for it myself. That's why Paul in Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? What could ever separate us from the love of Christ? It's God who justifies, who says, not here, not this person, not for those sins that I've already paid for, over my dead body, literally. I'm not going to sit here and listen to you trash this person that I love, that I've paid for. And there's something about knowing that every single day Satan could come to God and give him a million reasons why I'm a piece of crap and all of them would be true. Except Jesus has none of it. Jesus stands up for me. They say, well, Jesus, aren't you, don't you care that Ryan has all these faults? Yes, I do. And I'm gonna go to him gently and directly through the Holy Spirit to help him change. So person number three, Proverbs 17, four says, wrongdoers eagerly listen to gossip. Liars pay attention to slander. See, it's not only a sin to, to gossip, it's a sin to listen to gossip because you're enabling it. If there wasn't a market for gossip, the product wouldn't be distributed so much. So what should person number three do? Well, person number three's job is to be that advocate to be a firewall, to say, I don't know how long this has been being passed around, but it stops right here. You know what I think we need more in our church? We need more gossip firewalls, where if the gossip gets to you, it stops with you. 
If the gossip gets to me, it stops with me. Where I say, okay, hold on a second. It, it seems like we're, we're getting into some territory where it, as, I'm, as I'm listening to this conversation, I'm asking my spirit, I'm saying, Holy Spirit, please give me wisdom. Help me to know if this is a, a, a situation where I can shepherd this person or if this is a, a situation where I need to be a gossip firewall because this conversation has ceased to be constructive. Right? And when they sense this is venting, this is character judgment, this is assuming details or assuming motives, this is tearing down, this isn't building up, what they do is they say, hey, you know, we can, I want us to stop about this conversation, talking about this conversation, and then encourage person number two, challenge person number two to either let it go, just stop drinking the poison, or to go directly to person number one and say, hey, you know what, I know that can be kind of uncomfortable. Let me go with you. Let's go together. I'll help you. You know, if, if they get mad, I'll be there for you. I'll go with you. Now, one thing I've heard sometimes, I've heard people say, as they think about talking to people about stuff, but it's not a sin. I mean, sure, if I, if I caught them cheating on their spouse, I would confront them, but this isn't a sin. This is just kind of like a, a thing that, that, that bothers me. Well, you know, you could go to somebody if that's kind of the type of situation that it is, you know, you could go to somebody and just say, hey, you know what, very humbly, and just say, you know, when you said this the other day, when you did this the other day, when I saw you in that situation, it bothered me. You could, you could just start the conversation like that. You're not disciplining them. You're not calling them a sinner. You're saying, hey, when you did this, it bothered me. Maybe that's my fault. Maybe that's your fault. But I, I just want you to know I've, I've thought about it. I've prayed about it. I've meditated on it. And I, I feel like I can't just kind of let it go. So when you did that, it bothered me. And it, well, maybe you say, well, it, yeah, it bothers me. It doesn't bother me enough to want to do that, though. Well, then maybe just stop talking about it. If it doesn't bother you enough to talk to person number one about it, then maybe don't talk to person number three about it. Right? Let me close with this. As we think about gossip in our lives and in our church and our families, you know, we said at the beginning, we said that it's when Jesus' kingdom, when we enter into Jesus' kingdom, when Jesus' kingdom spreads to encompass the whole earth, that's when people take their swords and they repurpose them into plowshares. That's when people take the weapons they're using to hurt each other and instead turn them into life-giving tools, right? Let me ask you this. Why did people have swords in the first place? Why do you have a sword? Why did people back then have swords? To protect themselves. Because there's danger. Because there was evil. Because you're worried that bad people are going to come and you have to be able to defend yourself and hurt them before they hurt you. Or maybe somebody's going to do something evil and you want justice to be served and so you're going to go and, and, and do it, right? But what Isaiah is saying, this is Isaiah chapter 2 verse 4 if you want to go back and look at it. What he's saying is, it's not that people just say, well, you know, we're just going to be pacifists and so we don't need swords anymore. 
That's not what he's saying. He's saying when Jesus' kingdom comes, that's when people say what? There's no more danger. This thing that I was afraid of, there's no more danger because Jesus is in charge. And that thing that I was really afraid of, that thing that I thought I was going to have to fight for, Jesus just gives it to me. And so I don't need this sword anymore. I can take my sword and I can repurpose it to do something that's life-giving, like making it a plowshare. You know, I think in the same way, when we think about gossip, it's, it's the kingdom of God, it's the work of Jesus in your life that's going to make, make the difference. And in my life, it's going to make the difference for me. Why is it that we gossip? We were just talking about this before. Well, we're, we're worried we're not going to feel important. We're worried we're not going to feel included. We're worried we're not going to feel powerful. We're worried that we're, we're, worried that we're going to feel inferior. And so we just use our tongues, we use our words, we use these swords just to scratch and claw, just to, just to try to scratch out that brief moment where we don't feel so excluded. Or we use our tongues just to cut people down, just trying to scratch and claw for that brief moment where I don't feel like so much of a piece of crap anymore because they're, after all, they're worse than me. But when Jesus comes into our life, when Jesus says, Jesus helps us realize, I don't need to try to be included on the juicy, the juicy details to feel included. I'm a member of God's family, and nothing could ever change that. There's a seat for me at the table. I don't need to try to snipe at somebody on Instagram or on Snapchat or on text or with my words or on the phone or whatever. I don't need to try to snipe at somebody to try to feel powerful. Because the Spirit of God that created the world is inside of me and is working through me to do things that would be impossible apart from him. It doesn't get much more powerful than that. I don't need to try to diminish other people so that I can feel acceptable and good and valuable. Because my king has already taken the sword for me and has made me the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It doesn't get any more superior than that, does it? And once I start to internalize, this isn't the kingdom of the world where you have to scratch and claw for value, for power, for significance, for a place at the table. This is the family of God, where he gave up his place at the table so he could come down here and have people say all types of terrible things about him behind his back so that when Satan or when somebody else says, look at what a terrible person so-and-so is. Jesus can say, that stops right here. I've paid for that person's sin, and they're a member of my family. And when we do that, that's when we, we just naturally find ourselves. Because Jesus didn't use the sword on me, he used the sword on himself, so he can give me the plowshare in my heart. That's when we naturally find ourselves putting down our swords or even better, hammering them into plowshares to be a blessing to other people.
Let me pray for us. God, I am so thankful that you vented your anger on Jesus, not on us. God, I pray for myself and my brothers and sisters. Um, Do that work in our hearts, God. Help us to experience the freedom of knowing who we are in you. Please convict us of any ways that we've been using our tongues to tear people down. Give us opportunities this week to use our tongues to build people up. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.